question about whether dolphins say ha is one that fascinates Nick Enfield. Nick is a professor of linguistics at the University of Sydney, and it was his research into the universal human use of ha that won him an Ig Nobel Prize. They're the prizes that are given to research that makes you laugh and then makes you think. Nick Enfield joins me now. Welcome to Books and Arts. Good morning. Nick, let's start with that research into ha that won the Ig Nobel. So answer it. Do dolphins say ha? No, unfortunately they don't. It would be fun if they did. Uh, (laughs) But it's not a property of animal communication systems, um, you know, no matter how complex uh, and fascinating they are, the kind of thing that this simple little human utterance hard does just doesn't, uh, we just don't observe it in animal communication. And and do all human languages say huh? As far as we know, all human languages say huh. Um, this is something that, you know, linguists are always on the lookout for universals of language and they're pretty hard to find. We all know that languages differ pretty radically around the world. Um, But when I, together with my research colleagues some years ago, uh, started to compare conversation across languages, you know, and sort of free-flowing village interaction, uh, this jumped out at us and we saw that everywhere we looked, uh, we found people getting others to back up uh, by saying, huh, and getting them to repeat or to clarify what was said. So we haven't checked every language... We should make that clear. It's not sort of a Mick Jagger, aha, aha, we're talking about. It's a like, what do you mean, ha, that we use in language? Exactly. So, you know, the pattern you find is someone will say something, the other person will say, huh, and the first person will either repeat or they'll clarify. Uh, And so, you know, as I said, linguists are interested in universals, but we can't, you know, it's hard to check every one of the sort of six or 7,000 languages that are spoken in the world today. So we're always working from a sample. Um, so we have worked uh, with a subset of, of all human languages, but we keep looking and everywhere anyone has, uh, has looked, they have found this happening in every language. And is it that we've just found uh, that every language has some way of saying, wait, repeat that, uh, which in English we use the term ha, or is the actual phrase ha itself something that is is heard in all sorts of different languages? Well, the thing that we found in that paper that you mentioned, uh, the one that won the Ig Nobel, um, the, the thing that we pointed out there was that it was in fact the very sound, it was the very sort of syllable ha or something a little bit little bit different from it but usually very close so some languages like say spanish speakers will tend to say something like he um, but it's not very far off from ha and that was in a way the surprising languages because you were looking at indigenous languages asian languages absolutely we had data from all around the world so in that particular study yeah we had uh, a west african language we had um, an aboriginal australian language more impatha from the northern territory we had um, languages from every every continent, and that was one of the most important things in the study, and, and in fact, in in all linguistic research, is to make sure that you've got a sample of languages from outside the the more familiar ones from Europe. So, Nick, why does it matter? Why does it matter that all human languages say "ha"? Huh? Well, there's a lot of questions um, that you could ask about human language, and e- any time you get a good answer, um, that tells us a little bit more about what it means to be human and what all human groups have in common. Language is one of the definitive aspects of our species, and um, you know we know that all all groups around the world have some form of language, but uh, what is 
common to all of those forms of language is a real mystery. So anytime we can make some progress with that question, we get to find out something about what essentially the psychology of humans um, is deep down because we're always putting humans into a different cultural context and the, the real puzzle for us as, as anthropologists or psychologists is to tease apart which parts of human behaviour are due to culture and local sort of history and which parts are due to uh, the fact that we're, we're, we're the same species. Mm. This is Books and Arts on RN. I'm Sarah Konoski and I'm speaking with the linguist Nick Enfield about what makes human language distinctive and it's it's kind of wonderful that this is something linguists are still deep in the mystery of. But Nick, so the fact that we all say ha, huh, what does it tell you as a linguist about human language? What's it showing you about what's important about this system of communication that only our species has? Well, what it shows us is that human language is really... Uh, ultimately about interacting with each other and that might seem unsurprising to the average radio listener but in the science of human language um, there's been a strong push and a strong view that um, language deep down is not really about communication it's it's actually about sort of organizing your thoughts in a particular way and and having a particular kind of structure of information in your head um, and so a lot of linguistics has been about focusing on what those structures might be. But when we start to look at language in communication, uh, we see that this kind of a little utterance like ha huh, has very particular uh, properties and they're unique properties to humans. So that would include uh, cooperation, a very uh, high sort of skilled ability for cooperating among humans. And, and when you say ha, huh, you're really testing that. What you're doing is uh, getting the other person to basically sort of uh, back up, go back from what they were already saying and redo it. And, uh, you know, other animals are not really prepared to do that kind of thing. They're not, they won't sort of back up and redo something for you. You know, if you missed it, that's in a way your sort of bad luck. But human conversation is much more of a kind of a collaborative, cooperative activity. And uh, a social so, contract that we, you, wanna, you want me to understand what you're trying to say and you're prepared to give me more time if I need that. Exactly. Yeah. It's, um, it also, uh, I think, um, that the fact of Haas says something else about um, acquisition of language and uniqueness of human language and that we can talk about language with what we do. As I understand it, animals might be able to indicate, you know, there's some fresh meat over there or, hey, do you want to get it on? But they can't talk about the way they're communicating. That's a really um, important feature of human language and one that's been sort of pointed out by linguists and scholars of language at various points, and that is, um, just as you put it, that um, language is a system that can be used to communicate not only about things in the world around us, but it can be used to communicate about itself. So if you think about it, um, a lot of what we actually do with language is not talk about what's over there, but we talk about what other people say. She said this, he said that. Um, we talk about what what we're saying in the, in the present time. So I might say, oh, do you mean this? Do you mean that? Um, and of course, ha is a version of that or other kinds of things that we do, like pardon me, etc. These mm. are all ways of drawing attention to the, uh, to the communication system itself. And we don't see any evidence that um, animal communication systems have that property. How often do humans usually ask for each other to repeat? How often do we say things like, huh? Well, as it happens, I have a very precise answer to that question. It's every 84 seconds. Every 
84 uh, seconds. Doesn't correct. this indicate that human language is a really inefficient mode of communication if we're constantly asking for repetition and clarification? Well, you might say that, um, but, it, you know, human language is this incredibly versatile resource and we can say things and we often say things that have never been said and never been heard in the history of the universe. So it's not surprising uh, that, um, you know, we're not always going to catch what was said. So this is sort of underlines the importance of a little system like um, this system that produces things like ha and, and other forms of what we call repair. Um, that is that it's a very sort of important little safety net uh, that, you know, given the power of language and the sort of high demands of using language, speaking and listening uh, in, in interaction, it's a simple little system that just constantly allows us to stay on track. You know, um, mm. time is moving fast in interaction. And so these little things like, huh, we, we, we say them in a fraction of a second after what the other person has said in order not to get off track. And so, in fact, they're a very efficient part of language and they allow language to be the kind of creative flexible thing that it is and it underlines the human bonds that are that seem to be at the core of the way you're understanding language nick um you know the, the mystery of acquisition i think is still there and my youngest child um is is 20 months and he's not speaking yet but he does an extraordinary amount of pointing constant pointing what's the pointing got to do with learning language well, pointing is a really fundamental human capacity that um, seems very simple, but psychologically, uh, cognitively, it's a very demanding, a very special sort of skill. So when I point something out to you, for example, you drop your keys and I just point to them to draw your attention to them. Um, what I'm doing is I'm uh, not only attracting your attention to something, but I'm telling you something. So my attention on that thing and your attention on that thing are coming sort of into alignment and we, we we refer to that as joint attention or shared attention and in fact you know animals even ones that are very closely related to us like chimpanzees and bonobos don't have the capacity to follow pointing or to use pointing really? in the way that we do so you know you can uh, you can uh, you know you can put two cups in front of a chimpanzee um, and you can reach for one of them and the chimpanzee will become interested in the one you're reaching at because it'll figure, well, you you know, there's probably some food or you want something mm -hmm. that's in there. But as soon as you don't use the reaching hand shape but you use a pointing, you know, you point with your finger, um, they don't get it. It's really a curious thing. Um, a, few, a few animals get this kind of thing, like dogs, for example, you know, which have somewhat evolved with humans. Um, but basically the capacity to point is a really uh, unique uh, human thing. And, and going back to your question about acquisition, uh, this capacity to point and the behavior of pointing is a very important precursor to children's ability to learn a language. And that, it kicks in at around about nine months through to about 12 months of age. Kids normally start pointing at around that age. And just as you point out, they can b do quite sophisticated communication uh, just by pointing in order to do things like uh, help you um, find something you're looking for or to point to something that they want or just Express to share. indignation and sort of human rights abuses in terms exactly. of their siblings' behaviour. There's a lot yeah. of pointing. But, Nick, it's fascinating research. I could um, keep talking to you all morning, but I'm pointing at the clock and having to say it is time to say goodbye. But thank you so much for coming on Books and Arts and, and talking about your research into language with us. Thanks very much for having me.
Nick Enfield, who's Professor of Linguistics at the University of Sydney, and he recently gave a public lecture uh, on language as part of the Sydney Ideas series hosted by Sydney University. And we've put a link to that lecture at the Books and Arts website at abc.net.au slash rn. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the, the subjects that Nick raises in that if you get a chance to listen to the whole thing or indeed just from our conversation now. I'm Sarah Konoski and you're with Books and Arts on RN.